The legend of the phoenix All ends with beginnings What keeps the planet spinning Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for the final episode of Sucker Radio of 2013. Whatever you want to call it, we'll call it the year in review show. Um, yes, you should know by now. I am your host, Jeremy Brand, but joining me on today's show, I've got two great guests to go over the past year, 2013. I've got Damon Martin of Fox Sports. Damon, thanks for doing this today, man. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. And I've got freelance writer Sean W. Smith. Sean, thanks for taking the time out of your day, dude. No, not a problem. Now, before we look back on the year that was, I guess we should talk about this past weekend's card because UFC 168 was a pretty big event. Um, not, not just the main event, the co-main event, everything that came out of it was pretty huge. Um, does the way the main event ended with Anderson Silva... His leg jelloing, um, his leg, you know what I mean? Like, he broke his leg, and, and everyone was like, oh my goodness, what the hell happened? I mean, some guy even put together a compilation of people's reactions on YouTube there. Um, does the way it ended leave fans with that sort of never-knowing feeling, Damon? Uh, I mean, I think you have to, to a certain point. I mean, listen, the, you know, as much as, you know, Chris Weidman deserves credit for a dominant first round, and, and, and again, who's to say what the rest of the fight would have looked like? But, um, yeah, I mean, it does take something away. I mean, listen, you know, did he check the leg kick? Yes. Was that Chris Weidman's purpose in checking the leg kick to stop Anderson's leg from hitting him? Absolutely. But it wasn't an offensive move. It wasn't like, you know, he punched him and, and broke a bone and the fight couldn't continue. You know, he hit him and shattered his jaw and the fight couldn't continue. He blocked the leg kick, which is a defensive move, and Anderson's leg broke. So it does take something away, and, and it is disappointing because, you know, listen, Chris, Chris deserves a lot of credit for that first win. He deserves a lot of credit for a dominant first round in this fight. But unfortunately, the way it ended uh, by a non-offensive move, you know, and, you know, while Chris deserves credit for blocking the leg kick, uh, blocking something is not the same as offensively taking it to somebody. Uh, so, I, I, again, it does take away something. I don't think it, it, it makes his championship reign anything less because he already knocked out Anderson Silva once and he did have a dominant first round. But the ending, it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Exactly, and the way he was celebrating a little bit made it seem even more... I, I, don't, know, I don't know what to call it, but he was celebrating as if he had finished the champ, or finished the former champ, which he hadn't, because, I mean, yeah, he broke his leg. Yes, it was a defensive move, as you said, but he didn't get the finish he wanted. Most, most would want, that's not the way you want to win a fight, correct, Sean? Yeah, definitely not. I mean, Chris Weidman, there's always going to be this kind of uh, doubt among fans, or some fans anyways, that Chris Weidman didn't really beat Anderson this time. Uh, he, he checked the leg kick, and, and despite what Weidman says about, you know, this is something they've been working on, and they thought that, you know, if, if they did it properly, they'd break the leg. I don't really believe that. I think Weidman was just checking the kick, didn't want to get hit, and, uh, yeah, obviously Anderson broke his leg. Um, I, I don't think it's a, a great way to end 2013, especially because it, it was such a good year, and especially in the short term, I think this is going to be what people take away, but... I think when we look back, this is not going to be the definitive moment of 2013 for the UFC. No, but I, I do think Anderson Silva losing what is possibly his final two fights of his career um, being a definitive mm -hmm. moment of the UFC. 
Yeah, and um, Damon put out a piece on this uh, a couple days ago saying how, you know, these, these great fighters, they always seem to kind of go out in these terrible fashions, saying, uh, I think you mentioned Fedor and a couple others. So I don't think, I don't think in the long term this is going to be like a definitive moment in the UFC. I think uh, it's something we'll always uh, think about when we think of Anderson, but uh, the UFC is going to move on. They're going to have a lot more fights, and they're going to build new stars. So this, in the short term, it's something we're going to think about. In the long term, it's just going to be a footnote. Now, Damon, do you think we will see Anderson Silva back in the octagon? You know, my honest opinion is no. And listen, it's not, you know, I mean, I don't want to write the guy off because I think, you know, these kind of sports stories are written for comebacks. You know, we see guys get injured and go through horrific things and they want to prove something. So they come back. But listen, at 38 years of age, he's going to be 39 when he comes back, maybe even closer to 40. I know the doctors are saying, you know, he's probably on the shelf for six months. But I mean, these are the kind of injuries that are just hard to come back from. I mean, the, the way that Anderson Silva fights off his legs and his kicks and things like this, that's just a difficult thing to think he's going to come back less than a year from now uh, and really be himself again. And listen, does anyone want to see Anderson Silva, you know, less than what we know Anderson Silva to be? Does anyone want to see him be Michael Jordan on the Washington Wizards? Does anyone want to see him be Joe Montana on the Kansas City Chiefs? It's just, it's not the image we want of our heroes. And so, you know, if I'm Anderson Silva, he has nothing left to prove. He's the greatest of all time. He had the most iconic reign in championship history. And in a weird way, and I know this is going to sound kind of odd, but, you know, he did pass the torch to Chris Weidman. Chris was finally the guy. He finally was the guy that figured out the puzzle of beating Anderson Silva. He did it. Let's move on. You know, Anderson's an icon. I just, I don't know that there's a real reason for him to come back. I mean, you know, are there still fights out there for him that could be fun? Sure. If Vitor Belfort beats Chris Weidman, you know, he could come back and fight Vitor Belfort again, and, and the, the roles are reversed. The title's on the other hand. It's a great story, but if Anderson's not going to be Anderson, if he's not going to be the Anderson we remember knocking out for Griffin and knocking out, uh, you know, Nate Marquardt, knocking out Dan Henderson and all these different things, submitting Dan Henderson, doing all the things he did. I don't know that we want to see that. I don't want to see Anderson at 75%. Yeah, nor do I. Now let's talk about Vitor Belfort. He's up next for Chris Weidman. And myself, I, I feel like he poses a real threat to the champ, especially with, you know, his explosive style. Um, if the 2013 version of Belfort comes out in 2014 against Weidman, how do you think he fares against against the champ, Damon? You know, I mean, I think it's an interesting fight. I mean, listen, I still favor Chris Weidman to win the fight because I think stylistically Chris Weidman is the kind of guy that's traditionally given Vitor problems. A wrestler with great ground and pound and, and, and overwhelming, uh, you know, kind of offense that, that typically has broken Vitor in the past. You know, what we've noticed out of his last three fights, as great as they've been, you know, nobody out there, you know, really went out there and, and tried to out-wrestle Vitor or put him on his back or kind of make him uncomfortable. They went out there and, and, and struck with him. I mean, that's what Dan Henderson did, that's what Luke Rockhold did, and that's what Michael Bisping did. Uh, you know, the guys that have been able to break Vitor Belfort in the past are the guys that are able to just kind of power him, uh, clinch him, and take him to the mat. Guys like Randy Couture, guys like John Jones, obviously, when he did it. Uh, so I still think Weidman is a, is a bad matchup for Vitor, but with Vitor on the run he's on right now and the confidence that he's got, if he, if he really has his head together, which to me has always been the biggest problem with Vitor Belfort, then he could be a very dangerous guy. I mean, the, the guy's lost once at middleweight, and it was to Anderson Silva. That's it. Outside of that, he's beaten everybody and beaten them all pretty decisively. So uh, this is going to be a great fight. Your thoughts, Sean? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really good fight, and I, I favor Weidman as well. Um, like Damon said, he just has that style that Belfort's 
struggled with in the past. I think the big question mark here is going to be, uh, you know, what's Vitor Belfort going to look like? They're, they're probably going to hold this fight in Las Vegas. Uh, the TOT issue is still there. He's not going to be in Brazil where he's been for his last few fights. So whether or not he can really um, kind of bring that success into Las Vegas, I think is one of the big questions people are going to have going into this fight. But like Damon said, I really think Weidman uh, really has the style here to kind of to dominate Vitor Belfort, especially if he can take it into the later rounds. He's just got the wrestling. Um, he can avoid uh, Belfort's early strikes. And I, I think, yeah, I think he could probably finish Belfort. Now let's move away from that, moving down to the co-main event of UFC 168. We had the women in the cage. Um, Ronda Rousey taken into the deepest waters she has seen in her professional career. Uh, Misha Tate fought her heart out, but she truly seemed to have a terrible, terrible game plan. Um, were you surprised, Damon, by the fact that she wanted to take Ronda down during this fight? Yeah, I was a little puzzled by the game plan. And, and listen, you know, Misha had switched camps again before this fight. She went out and trained at Extreme Couture, was training in Vegas. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of fighters switching training camps before a title fight. I'm a big believer in, you know, it takes a couple, three fights for a fighter to really get acclimated to a new training camp. I think we're seeing the results in a guy like Dustin Poirier. Uh, you know, it's taken him a few fight camps, but now we're starting to really see the results of working with the team like American Top Team. Robbie Lawler, the same way. couple fights in, American Top Team is making huge strides and huge differences with a guy like that. But it takes a little while. You don't generally see that in the first fight out, and I didn't like the fact that Misha, you know, switched up everything uh, before this fight camp to go in against Ronda. And, and, again, I don't know what kind of advice she was getting. I don't know, you know, because she is a wrestler, and a grappler at heart uh, that, you know, maybe that was her point is that she felt like she could out-wrestle and out-grapple Ronda Rousey. So I don't necessarily have a problem with her trying to out-grapple and out-wrestle Ronda, but when it didn't work early, you know, there's got to be a plan B. When she realized that her takedowns were not working and she wasn't able to stop the judo throw in the first round, but she got out of that first round, you know, that's when you kind of switch things in the second. I think you got to have a plan B. Uh, you got to have a backup plan. you got to have coaches like Greg Jackson, guys that can tell you in the corner, you know, give you strong advice and say, okay, this isn't working, try this, and listen to those coaches. And I don't know that she really was getting that advice. No, it seemed as if she was she was being told to continue to take her down. She did get that early takedown in the first, but when she was on the feet, she seemed as if she was – she was being able to hang with Ronda, and she did clock her a few times, not not necessarily rocking her, but she did catch her with a few nice strikes. What were your thoughts, Sean? Yeah, I was a little puzzled by that as well. I don't. I think kind of Misha just wanted to prove to herself that she could hang with Rousey on the ground. I really think that was part of it. It was kind of a, a pride thing. Um, so much animosity between these two. And like you said, she, she was doing really well on the feet. I thought... Rousey looked good on the feet as well. Uh, I think we learned a lot about Ronda Rousey. And in a fight where you kind of you kind of knew she was going to win, and even Dana White must have thought she was going to win because he'd already made the Sarah McMahon fight. But in a fight <laughs> like that, I think it's, it's really nice to kind of see that evolution in the fighter and see something new, not just another quick submission. Now, Sean, you and I were speaking yesterday about the way it seemed like Misha almost wigged out on that last armbar where she tapped. Um I know that when an armbar is in, you want to tap because obviously you don't want your arm to get broken. And, and Misha has been in this precarious position before, but you do have that sort of split second to think where, where you're at. And, and Rousey didn't even have her leg over Misha's head at all um, during that last armbar, which could have given Misha the opportunity to sort of roll to her knees and give her that extra little 
momentum to try and get out of it. Did you notice this, Damon? Uh, a little bit, but at the same time, uh, you know, at, at the same time, you can't fault somebody when you get caught in a submission. You know, if you've been caught in those positions before, uh, if you know your arm is done and you can't get out or you're stuck, uh, you know, listen, there's no shame in that. We listen, we, you know, we, we, we should applaud fighters when they know they're stuck and they're not getting out if they tap out as opposed to go through an injury or, or something like that. How, I mean, listen, we, we talk about guys not being willing to throw in the towel and, you know, all these different kind of damaging things. And we somehow, you know, have a problem with that, but somebody taps out, we're going to question it. No, she knew she was done. If you tap out, you know, you're done. So, I mean, again, if she thought she was done. She was done. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Now, we found out after the fact that Ronda will take on Sarah McMahon next. Um, definitely a great marketing ploy with the Olympics and all that stuff. But do you feel this is the right matchup, uh, Sean, with such a long layoff for McMahon? Well, I think that Alexis Davis is probably the more deserving uh, opponent. She, she's got more wins in the UFC, but it's definitely a tough fight for McMahon to come back to. But this is the fight that uh, I think a lot of people want. They see McMahon as the one who can really uh, kind of pose some problems to Rousey because of her wrestling. But I'm not sure. I, I think I would have went with Davis, but I understand why they uh, they did what they did with the Olympics. Damon? You know, I, I, I agree. It should have been Alexis Davis in terms of deserving, in terms of accomplishment. Uh, I like Sarah McMahon, but I don't personally feel like Sarah McMahon is there yet. Uh, you know, she's not as developed and evolved as a fighter. She's been out for almost a year, and her one win in the UFC was over Sheila Gaff, who is no longer in the UFC. Uh, I would have liked to have seen, you know, if Sarah would have come back and fought Sarah Kaufman in August and beat her, I'd have no problem with this. But the fact that she's been out for almost a year, hasn't fought, it almost feels like she's kind of getting it by default. But we do have a legit number one contender, in my opinion, in Alexis Davis. If you're not, if Kat Zingano is still out, which obviously she is, uh, Alexis Davis deserved this. For sure. Now, one last fight I'd like to talk about on this card, Travis Brown. Did he sure put on a show for the heavyweight division and prove that he is a force to be reckoned with? Uh, he only has one loss. Um, he laid out Josh Barnett. Uh, did you see this coming, Damon? No, I didn't. I picked Josh Barnett to win the fight. I thought that this was the guy to get Travis down and really see what kind of ground game he had. And, boy, I could not have been more wrong. Uh, Travis, those elbows on the inside in the clinch were nasty. You know, when you knock a guy out cold like that, we're talking about a guy in Josh Barnett who has rarely been finished in his career. We're talking about basically Pedro Hizzo and Mirko Krokop are the guys that have finished Josh Barnett. Uh, Josh is an incredibly tough guy, and that was a nasty knockout. You know, Travis Brown is a serious contender. I think he's going to give Fabrizio Verdum some pretty bad nightmares when they fight. And uh, he may be the guy. He may finally be the guy to, to give Cain Velasquez a, a real fight in this division. Definitely. I, I mean, it gives anyone that sort of second thoughts about taking this guy down. What are your thoughts, Sean? Yeah, I picked Josh Burnett in this fight as well. I, I thought he'd be able to implement his grappling a little better than he did. Obviously, it only lasted a minute, but Travis Brown's definitely on a roll. Three knockouts in 2013. Um, I think the, the Verdun fight is really interesting. Verdun's come a long way on the feet. He, he looked really good in his last few bouts, and obviously he's got the submissions as well, but Travis Brown has just been steamrolling people this year, so that's a, a really good fight, and Travis Brown's still a fairly young guy, so he's going to be around for a while. So it's exciting to see these young fighters in the heavyweight division that really need young fighters. 
Now, Damon, before we move away from UFC 168, I'm going to ask both you guys this. Was there anything else on the card that sort of stood out that you'd like to just speak on a little bit? Uh, you know, I would say, you know, I, I thought it was, a, you know, a great performance from Jim Miller over the weekend. I would have liked to have seen him get submission of the night. I thought he earned it a little bit more than Rousey did, just the way he get a submission. We don't see a lot of arm bars from the bottom these days, at least at the UFC level. And so I thought that was a really impressive win. And Dustin Poirier, man, going out there and just obliterating Diego Brandao, I was really impressed. I still believe Dustin Poirier is a top five featherweight. And now that he's with American Top Team and with a full training camp, I would love to see him get that rematch with Cub Swanson. I still think Dustin Poirier, with the right team behind him now and the right training, I still feel like this guy could be a serious threat to Chad Mendes, to, to Jose Aldo, to anybody in that division. Sean, anything from you? Yeah, I, I like Poirier as well. I, I would agree that he's a top five featherweight. Um, the Swanson fight would be really good. I, I'd be interested to see how he does against someone like Chad Mendes. Um, the other fighter that stuck out to me was Michael Johnson. I thought looked really good against Gleason Tebow. And I, I'm really excited to see kind of how he continues to grow moving forward. He looked really good in his last few bouts. The win over Joe Lozon was really good as well. So I'm really interested to see just uh, how he evolves in 2014. For sure. Now let's let's go back in time here. Talk the year that was 2013. You know we had some awesome fights. It, it was definitely one of the best um, for mixed martial arts in terms of fights of the year and and whatnot. Um, we had some back and forth battles, great knockouts, some breakout stars. I'd like to do some sort of awards now with you guys, and and we'll give you out each of our of the year awards. Um, I'll start first with fighter of the year and I'll sort of just break it down with you guys and ask each of you guys who you guys had for those. My fighter of the year, um, not sure if either of you guys agree with this, but I, I, I thought it was Uriah Faber. I mean, the guy fought four times in the calendar year. He won all of them in dominant fashion, um, four of them via submission. And, and everyone, you know, people count him out against these these top guys like Michael McDonald. No one was picking Uriah Faber to win that fight. They thought the young buck was going to come up and possibly beat Uriah Faber. But this guy just doesn't lose non-title fights. And, and he proves that Team Alpha Male is, is a force to be reckoned with. And him at the top of it, he's he's got another crack at the title. So me being a Uriah Faber fanboy as well, I, I pick him as my fighter of the year. Um, what about you, Damon? Uh, by the way, I did pick your eye favor to beat Michael McDonald. Let me go ahead and raise my hand on that one. I actually picked him to win that fight. Uh, that, that said, Uriah had a great year. I think Vitor Belfort had a phenomenal year. Uh, but my fighter of the year for this year is Demetrius Johnson. Uh, you know, rarely do you get a title fighter to fight three times in a year. And rarely do you get to see a guy really define himself as one of the best guys in the world the way that Demetrius did. I mean, the scary thing about Demetrius is he just kept getting better as the year moved forward. I mean, he started out with the war against John Dawson, which... You know, again, I think fighters, title fighters, need those kind of challenges to push them to that next level. You know, Jones, John Jones, as great as he's been, you know, I think we all appreciate him a little bit more now because he did have that battle with Gustafson because he finally got pushed in a fight. We've never seen that. We always wonder what a guy's going to do when he actually faces adversity. And I think that's the true mark of a champion. And Demetri showed that in the fight with John Dodson, got hit early, came back and just dominated late, comes out and, and dominates John Moraga. And you consider and say whether or not John Moraga deserved the title shot, but he still, he dominated him. I mean, Demetrius, you know, basically showed him he didn't belong in there and then finished him in the fifth round and then knocking out Joseph Benavidez, 
who, by the way, Joseph Benavidez should have been in the conversation of the pound-for-pound best in the sport. When you consider when he left bantamweight, he was the number two bantamweight in the world. Now he's the number one, you know, number two uh, flyweight in the world. Demetrius knocks him out cold in the first round. Three title defenses in a year, three wins, two finishes. To me, it's Demetrius Johnson. Good call, good call. I saw you also mention something on Twitter, Damon, about Travis Brown having an excellent year as well. Yeah, Travis, I mean, three three fights this year. He spent six minutes in the cage, just a little bit over six minutes, and three knockout of the night. Knockout over Alistair Overeem, a knockout over uh, Gabriel Gonzaga, and a knockout over Josh Barnett. That's a pretty incredible year as well. Two of those guys are top ten opponents with Overeem and, uh, and Barnett. And then you look at Gonzaga. You know, Gonzaga's a guy, if you look at his career, the only guys that that guy loses to are top ten fighters. He does not lose to anybody outside the top ten. So you could kind of say – you know, Gabriel Gonzaga's number 11 in the world because he beats everybody else that's not a top 10 fighter. So those three wins in a year, three maybe legit top 10 wins and all first-round knockouts, that's pretty damn impressive. Who'd you have fighter of the year, Sean? Yeah, I had Demetrius Johnson as well, uh, mostly for the same points Damon made. I, I really liked his consistency, and, and we saw new wrinkles. We saw him come back against Dodson. We saw the submission. And then, obviously, the knockout of Benavidez, uh, I thought, and I think a lot of people thought that, that was going to be a five-round fight. We didn't really think that Johnson had the power to do that, and and he really shocked me, and I think he shocked a lot of people. Uh, he, he's really helped the UFC flyweight division grow into uh, the kind of division that can headline these Fox cards and, and put on exciting bouts. So I think Demetrius Johnson, uh, three fights, three impressive performances, definitely my fight of the year. Submission of the year. Now, there were a ton of big submissions in 2013. Uh, yesterday, while chatting with people, I thought I was going to pick Demetrius Johnson armbarring John Moraga late in the fourth round. You know, but after looking over some fights and watching some tape and stuff like that, I'm actually going to go with Anthony Pettis' armbar against Benson Henderson to win my submission of the year. Um, not only was it fast, but the setup was slick. And, and I mean, no one thought he was going to armbar uh, this Gumby that is Benson Henderson. Uh, Damon? You know, I would say that Pettis is a great pick, you know, because it was a title fight. He took the fight on short notice. But, you know, again, I, I always, you know, when, you, when you've beaten a guy once, you start to wonder how much you're in their head. And I actually, I, I thought Pettis would beat Henderson a second time. Uh, so that one took away a little bit of that. But my submission of the year was, was Fabrizio Verdun submitting uh, Antonio Noguera. Again, I know Noguera is not the same fighter he was in the Pride heydays, and, and obviously those days are gone. But still, it means something to submit Antonio Noguera. I mean, he was the best heavyweight submission fighter for years. And again, I know he's not the same guy, and I know Frank Mir was the first one to pull off a submission against him. But to me, it's still something very special. It was just awesome to see two of the best ground guys go at it. And so I like Verdum's submission over Noguera, uh, best, you know, best of the year for me. What about you, Sean? Um, I went with uh, an obvious one. I said Ronda Rousey's armbar of Luz Camus, just basically because of its historical significance. The first uh, female fight to headline the UFC card, um, Ronda Rousey kind of propelled her into superstardom. She's one of the, the top draws in the UFC at this point. So I, I think that armbar was really important, and I think when we look back, that'll be something we remember for a long time. For sure. Now, knockout of the year, again, I could go with Demetrius Johnson for his amazing knockout over Joseph Benavidez. No one no one saw that coming, and, and neither of you guys, I'm sure, called that one as well. Being the fly, Not only being the flyweights, but Demetrius Johnson not known to knock out guys. So this, this was a big one, but again, he falls short. 
for biggest knockout for me, obviously. The obvious one that, that comes into play is the biggest upset in what some would say UFC history. Chris Weidman knocking out Anderson Silva takes the cake for me. What about you, Sean? Yeah, I went with the same choice. Uh, I, picked, or I picked Weidman knockout of Silva. Uh, it was just so shocking at the time. A lot of people thought Silva would win, and those who thought Weidman would win, I don't think they really saw it happening like that. I, they thought he'd use his wrestling more like he did in the first round. Um, so it was just so shocking. And, I, yeah, I couldn't believe it, and a lot of people couldn't believe it. So I went with Weidman over Silva. Damon? Uh, yeah, it's Weidman over Silva. I mean, listen, when you knock out the greatest fighter of all time and the greatest stand-up fighter in MMA history, it's special. There's no there's no Trump in that. So, yes, Chris Weidman gets that hands down. Now, are there any other awards you'd like to give out for the year? Like, I mean, myself, I'll give one to comeback fighter of the year to Robbie Lawler. Obviously, he's proved the critics wrong. And in 2014, the guy's going to get a UFC welterweight title shot. No one saw this coming. I mean, a year back, you'd be like, Robbie Lawler getting a title shot? Yeah, right. Um, he went 3-0 in 2013 against Josh Koscheck, Bobby Volker, and Rory McDonald, who was a complete surprise, and, and everyone had Robbie, or Rory McDonald as the next big thing. Um, any other awards you'd like to give out, Sean? Um... Not really. I, I like that decision. I think uh, Cub Swanson could kind of be in that comeback fighter of the year discussion as well. Um, his last two years have been really good, and he started off his UFC run with uh, the loss to Ricardo Lamas. He lost uh, two times before that to, to Aldo and Mendez in WEC, and now he's put together five straight wins. So Cub Swanson's definitely coming on strong, uh, expecting a big 2014 from him. And I think I think that's about it, yeah. Damon? Uh, you know, I, I just like to recognize the guys from Strike Force, you know, coming in and doing what they did this year. I mean, you look at guys like, uh, you know, Robbie Lawler. I mean, let's again, I know he came from the UFC originally, but his last few years have been spent in Strike Force, coming and doing. He's done now, earning a title shot. Jacare Souza, you know, maybe one of the most exciting prospects in middleweight. If you're going to ask me a guy that's going to give Chris Weidman serious problems, it's Jacare Souza. Uh, you know, you look at him. Uh, you know, Luke Rockhold, obviously, he hasn't shown up yet. Uh, his one fight against Vitor Belfort. But, you know, you look at some of the other guys. I mean, again, the Strike Force guys have shown up. Tyron Woodley's had a couple of big wins. Uh, you know, I, I, so, you know, you look at some of these guys. Josh Barnett coming in and knocking out Frank Mir. Daniel Cormier. Uh, you know, coming in, and now he's potentially a number one contender at light heavyweight, and after what he did at heavyweight. So it's been awesome to see the Strike Force guys do well, especially the top guys. It's kind of like when the WC guys came in and they had to kind of prove their worth. I think Strike Force guys have done a great job, and I think they deserve a little recognition, especially considering how bad that last six or eight months was for them with dealing with smite cancellations and showtime and all the nasty stuff that happened. I think it's been awesome to see them kind of get that success. Yeah, you know, there's there's one other guy I'd like to give a shout-out to, and and that's the, the, the man behind Team Alpha Male right now, Dwayne Ludwig. I mean, if this guy doesn't win Coach of the Year on everybody's poll out there, then, then there's definitely something wrong with you because he's taken this team to a whole nother level. Not only in terms of, I mean, he's, he's one of the greatest strikers that we've seen in MMA. He's got the fastest knockout in MMA history. But, I mean, the guy has put the confidence level of these guys to a whole nother level. What are you guys' thoughts, uh, Damon? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think he's done a great job. I mean, I think the real mark on, on, on Dwayne is going to come down to titles. And, and I know that's unfair, but it is fair to a certain point because Team Alvin Mill has always been very good. Uh, Team Alvin Mill's always had top contenders. I mean, you look at, you know, Joseph Benavidez has fought for titles. Chad Mendez fought for titles. Uriah Faber fought for titles. And these things all happened before Dwayne. Uh, so Dwayne, I think, has made huge strides and improvements in these guys. But at the end of the day, you know, when you got a team of, of number one contenders and you come in and craft them to be better, someone's got to bring home a title. Now, I'm not faulting Joseph Benavidez for not winning the title. I think he's a, an incredibly talented guy. He just ran into a bad punch that night from Demetrius Johnson. But, you know, I think Uriah Faber, if he can go out and win a title this year or 2014 or or you see Chad Mendez go out there and challenge for the belt in 2014 that's going to be the true mark of his success he's got to bring a belt back for me personally sounds good sounds good now before I let you guys go here I'm going to ask you guys one more question for the year of 2013 actually I'll ask you guys two um first off what was your favorite UFC event of 2013 Sean uh UFC 166 hands down I don't even think it's to me, it's not even competitive. And Damon? Same thing. I was there, uh, so I, I'm a little bit more biased because I was sitting cage side for that one. But, uh, my God, that was such a great show. And just, man, I tell you what, very rarely uh, do you get a chance as a reporter. If you, you know, obviously you guys have been at events. You know, you're, you're writing. You're kind of taking notes. You're doing these kind of things. One of the most special moments I've ever had as a journalist was sitting there and just appreciating Gilbert Melendez and Diego Sanchez, sitting there literally jaw on the on the bottom of my computer, just watching those two slug it out. Uh, didn't type a word during that entire event. I just I just watched in awe. Uh, so that was that was by far the best event of the year, in my opinion, as well. Now we talk fighter of the year. We talk submission of the year. We talk knockout of the year. Let's talk fight of the year. Sean, fight of the year for you. Uh, I have to go with John Jones versus Alexander Gustafson, and, and I was there for that one, cage side, too. So I, for me, like I might be a little biased, uh, but live, that fight was incredible. The Gustafson kind of shocked people. A lot of people, including myself, thought John Jones would handle him fairly easily, and Gustafson came out there and put on a star-making performance. I'd have to say the same thing. Myself, watching it on TV, I thought the exact same way. I thought that was definitely the fight of the year. It it, it had people on the edge of their seats. It had people thinking, oh, my goodness, who's this going to go to? Um, Damon, what was your fight of the year? Uh, it was also Jones Gustafson. You know, I think that Melendez Sanchez definitely deserves a nod, and I think, uh, you know, Hunt Silva definitely deserves a nod. But what I loved out of Jones Gustafson was, A, it was a title fight. Everything's on the line. And we did get to see a little bit of everything in that fight. I mean, Gustafson took Jones down. Who would have guessed that? Uh, you know, mm. he stuffed Jones's takedowns. Uh, you know, turned it into a stand-up battle, was winning that fourth round, and then all of a sudden he gets caught with that elbow. Uh, so, yeah, that, that to me was the best fight of the year. Uh, but I think you got to give, you know, just for pure – uh, just for pure aesthetic beauty of how nasty the fights were, you got to give a special nod to Melinda Sanchez and also to uh, to Hunt Silva. But I think Jones Gustafson just had everything, and I think that always makes it a little bit better of a fight. Definitely. Now, I'd like to just, you know, thank you guys for joining me on this year-end show of Sucker Radio. Uh, Damon, just let people know where uh, they can get a hold of you in the social media universe and, and you know, where they can read your stuff in, in this day and age. Absolutely. Follow me on Twitter at Damon Martin. If you get a chance, check out FoxSports.com, the UFC page. I'm over there quite uh, quite a lot, so uh, that's where you can catch my MMA stuff. And if you get a chance to check out my other website, NerdCoreMovement.com, that's my personal site. That has nothing to do with MMA, but if you're a, a fan of uh, TV and movies and comic books, that's also a site I run. So uh, FoxSports.com and NerdCoreMovement.com, that's where you'll find me. Highly suggest NerdCore Movement. Uh, and you, Sean? 
Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean, S-H-A-W-N underscore W underscore Smith. Uh, this one's Fighters Only. There's a feature on Miles Jury that I did, and my year-end awards will be out on Cage Potato sometime in the next few weeks. You also have a personal site right now, do you not, Sean? Yeah, uh, I've started a blog. It's seanwsmith.wordpress.com. Um, it's got basically my portfolio, blog posts that I do occasionally. So definitely check that out as well. Thanks a lot for joining me, guys. And, and this is uh, the year-end show of Sucker Radio. We got 12 bottles of water, 56 beers, 2 vodkas, 4 whiskey, 6 bottles of wine, tequila, Nutella, cheese, steaks, a Milky Way, half ounce sour diesel, 3.5 grams Grandmaster Kush, 1 ounce of shrooms, 15 pills of ecstasy, a porno mag, a baseball bat, and the video camera from the movie 27 Hours. 127 hours. Uh, 127 hours. And a functioning revolver from the movie Flyboys. Old faithful. Jesus. Things real. No, I kept this from the movie. Yeah, this is the actual revolver. I see. Yeah. Right, that's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Could you put that down, please? Loaded. Love it. Awesome. I the, always keep my props. That's really cool. Always keep my props. I know how to handle it. He knows what he's doing. I like this bit. I like it. I get it. Yeah, let me see. It's real. It's heavy. Let me see. I got it. Come on, guys. You Careful. Bang, no. bang. Jesus, please put it oh, down. Fuck. Bang, 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 you're oh, dead. You're fucking pow, happy. pow, pow. Stop, guys, stop fucking with oh, the guns. Jesus. Pow, Jesus. Pow. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll just kill my... No, no. don't do that, Jesus. Jonah. Oh, no. Jonah, I gotta it end it. Don't do that. Jonah. I'm sorry. Oh, 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 hey, come on. No, no, no. Jesus. Would you put the thing no. down? I'm trying to have some fun, okay. man. This is Jesus. Look, just because a bunch of people fell into a hole outside doesn't mean we can't have some fun. We're a bunch of best friends hanging out. It's like a sleepover.